Hi everyone and welcome to Hit the Apex this week. It's flyaway season once again with the Singapore Grand Prix coming up this weekend and also we're going to be talking about supercars too because it's our favourite time of year. Not only is it spring here in Australia but it's the season of endurance as well. So Baden joining me, Jawad as always, plenty to talk about starting with Singapore and um, yeah, enduro season as well which is always a bonus. Yeah, it's probably crept up a bit. Both of us have had our own little getaways in, in recent weeks and probably a bit of a, a lull until the last 48 hours, certainly on the Formula 1 front, but that's something we'll discuss later. But before that, yeah, we've got Singapore and um, Sandown to start of the enduro season. Yeah, and starting off with Singapore, I guess. Singapore in itself, a bit of an endurance race. And um, time running out you could say on the title race too 14 rounds in out of 21 um and lewis hamilton came out of monza with a mighty 30 point lead and um sebastian vettel's blunders again and ferrari's blunders in italy we talked about it at length and um i guess we're returning to the burial site if you will of vettel's 2017 title aspirations because turn one crash the crash that took out he, his teammate Kimi Raikkonen, one of the Red Bulls, I think Max Verstappen it was, um, not even 30 seconds into the race. How do they approach coming into this year and knowing that, you know, the points lead is a lot more than it was last year and there's a lot to um, to win back this time? Hamilton's got that breathing space to come in here, that, that theory that Mercedes will struggle, he's probably able to um, take a bit more of a, of a back seat and uh, you never know if there's a repeat of 12 months ago, he'll be there in the wings to, to do it again and um, I think for Ferrari this really is um, the final stand, I can't see Hamilton getting another victory if it came to pass and, and Vettel being able to to turn it around, Hamilton's simply just been there every time, and, and this is one Ferrari just has to get right. Well, on paper, it's a circuit that suits Ferrari and even Red Bull um, in that instance over Mercedes, so that's already a, a tick in the right box, and given that qualifying, I guess, determines how your um, race is going to pan out, given it's a street circuit, and also this year they've actually narrowed some of the parts of the track by two meters as well making it more difficult to overtake i guess it's going to take for some kind of divine intervention or you know the chaos that we saw last year at turn one to create a crazy result or if you want to go back to 2008 and uh, a bit of strategic uh, masterclass, you could say in inverted commas um, by the renault team so yeah on paper it's definitely a circuit that Ferrari can excel at and dominate the weekend but we said that at Monza too and look what happened going into turn four there and then Kimi Raikkonen ended up losing the race through no fault of his own either so and also this is one of Seb's strongest circuits as well he won four races he's won four races here in his career three back-to-back with Red Bull and 2012 was that key race for me where it was Lewis Hamilton's who Lewis Hamilton's titles hopes that went up in smoke at this race and Sebastian Vettel came to win and dominated and then that started his charge towards um, what was his third title at the time so and that is on that note a little bit ironic in, in the sense Vettel yes that catapulted him to his third crown but it also triggered Hamilton's uh, move to Mercedes that really sealed the deal after that 
disastrous season with reliability with McLaren and things have played out since then where he's just taken it to another level. So it's just funny the way that these situations can work in, in different ways, short and long term. Yeah, Singapore's always been a key circuit like that, of course. And um, 2015 as well, Ferrari putting on the show there um, and Sebastian winning there. And Hamilton's only had three wins here compared to Seb's four. So, and Mercedes bit conservative this weekend tire wise they're bringing more soft tires than they are the uh, hyper soft and the the ultra soft or whatever so again perhaps they might use that as far as strategy is concerned and that's probably the only way if they don't qualify um, ahead of ferrari that they're going to try and beat the red cars again they can afford to really um, that theory that they do struggle more with with the tires that didn't seem to be the case certainly last time out at Monza, but in this instance, with, with the heat, which will still be a factor even un, under lights, you think that they're just going to be playing it a little bit more conservatively and, and they'll be, again, doing enough to, to pounce the second. Ferrari shows any, not, not mistakes per se, but just hesitation and, and making Ferrari um, go to the strategy board first, as, as was the case for Raikkonen at, at Monza, and they're the kind of one percenters that seem to yeah, they don't seem to dictate terms as much as Mercedes does. Mercedes are so used to winning that it's so natural that they um, can dictate the strategy and dictate what happens, whereas Ferrari, just as you say, a bit hesitant when it comes to these sort of things. Have they forgotten how what it means like to dominate and to win like they used to in the early 2000s? So, you know, if they can stand behind their strategic calls and be a bit more confident with them, I'm sure, you know, they can actually start translating those the pace that they have in that car to winning, and that's just goes back to what I said a few weeks ago about they've got the best car, but do they know how to win with the best car? So it's not just a given that they've got the best car that they're going to win every race. They've still got to nail all those other little things that it's just embarrassingly they're not doing at the moment. It probably only accounts for about 10% when it comes down to strategy, but it's arguably its worth is about 90% in terms of that execution. You can be leading the pack on Saturday and up to... Uh, lap 50 of 60 on, on Sunday but at the end um, if tyres go off a cliff or there's some pressure and, and Vettel's not able to, to handle it, it it's all academic and I guess you could make another case for needing a, a Ross Braun type figure to pull off these master strokes and just see beyond that, that immediate moment where they might be feeling some early race pressure and it's going to wait it out rather than well, that's why Mercedes and the likes of um, James Vowles or whatever always seem to get it right, despite Austria where, um, was it Austria where Lewis Hamilton pretty much berated them or whatever for not making the right call? Um, nine times out of ten, they're still perfect when it comes to strategy. And even if you want to argue that it's not been the best of late because Valtteri Bottas has been made the, the butler, as um, Maurizio Rivaveni said in recent days. Um, you know, it's that's they still get it right. So that's what um, Ferrari and especially Jock Clear being the chief strategist, uh, strategist or whatever needs to get right. Yeah. What happened there? What happened? <laughs> Remember that with Michael Schumacher? He wasn't afraid to put his man under the bus. So yeah. you can see he's quite a... He's an interesting character, Jock Clear, but he certainly deserves to be probably brought under the, the microscope if Ferrari's again out front and somehow they, they do hand it to Mercedes just when it's this clutch moment where there, there really is no coming back, I think, if 
Hamilton's again top step on Sunday. And also given that the threat from Red Bull will be a lot more this weekend as well, we talked a lot about Daniel Ricciardo and how he's had a rotten run of luck for retirements in the last six races. Singapore's a venue, much like Monaco, where Red Bull can easily find the ascendancy. But at this point, I think Ferrari is just that little bit stronger. But can, you know, we see Ricardo with a bit of vengeance in his eyes uh, strike back this weekend and even get a podium? That would be really good to see. Verstappen, conversely, has been in a good run of form, you could say. So podium in Belgium. Monza, he was competitive as far as his machinery would let him go. But then that uh, incident with Bottas at the end of the race sort of took that fourth place away from him. So, um, yeah, Red Bull as well are going to put the heat on Ferrari. And uh, I guess they'll be hoping just to get a little bit more inertia back since that probably has disappeared since um, the heights of we had Austria there. That that was really where you could see that uh, and until Ricardo after Monaco respectively that the big three seems on two halves whether you look at it from each driver's perspective. But to have both of them right up there and just capitalising on the characteristics here um, probably will be their final chance realistically and also for Ricardo who's always been quite handy here just for that confidence you can see that he just doesn't seem to be enjoying himself and, and who would when he seems to be really 100% of the time at the moment copying that misfortune whether it's from the gearbox or the power unit whatever it is to do with that packaging between Red Bull's architecture and the Renault. Well am I wrong in saying that since 2014 he's been on the podium every time in Singapore I don't know 26 uh, 2016's probably the only one that I'm not sure about but yeah 2014 15 and then last year 2017 and definitely very, very close last year actually to tipping Hamilton that was a great race yeah to, towards yeah. towards the end of the race so yeah that was uh, if it was a few laps longer I remember him saying he would have definitely had it actually no 2016 he was on the podium because he almost beat Nico Rosberg that day as well. So Rosberg was uh, struggling with the tyres at the end of the race and uh, Ricardo was right up there. So. Well, it does show you it's in line with the way that he tends to get stronger as the race does progress and sometimes he's just beaten to the punch, whether it's the time constraints, which is so often a factor here, or, or just the characteristics being the, of the, the track where he can't quite make a move stick but it's one where you'll think that he might might be qualifying maybe fifth or sixth but he's always going to be in that equation if he can be around that um, top three mark by the final round of pit stop yeah they've got to be top five you think in qualifying red bull if they're going to be a chance this weekend um also 100 percent safety car record that in itself it speaks for itself it's there's going to be chaos whether it's going to be at the front of the field or at the back of the field we don't know given that last year we had it at right at the front of the field you can't rule out anything so even if you've got pole position some idiot might decide to come down your inside or whatever especially that run to turn one it's not that long and also turn one itself is such a tight little corner because it turns into turn two really you go left right straight into turn two so yeah a lot can go that wrong there and you know the unlikely well the chance of uh, unlikely results popping up as well back markers pointing uh, scoring points as such so Williams they scored tw- uh, with both cars last time out in uh, in Monza can they score again this weekend um, Force India they've been in such good touch since they've uh, had the rebranding done it as well so you know can they ca- take back a haul of points McLaren you know on paper it's a it's 
doesn't really suit like it should suit their car but if it's as dogged as it has been in the past you know it looks like they might not this is the weekend let me rephrase it in the past they've been really good here with the honda engine but this year the chassis has been the terrible part of their uh, season so whether they're going to score points here this weekend it looks unlikely but if they're in the right place at the right time it could happen yeah that chassis has regressed which um, would have thought it would have gone the other way with a little bit more consistency from the Renault but it didn't happen for them at Hungary and uh, you're just seeing for particularly Stoffel Van Dorn you can't take a trick he would do very well after the news that, that he's on his way out from McLaren, just for something for him to hold his hat on, but you'd think it's someone more likely like Sauber there who might be able to get themselves into the pointier end of maybe um, sixth to eighth instead of just that final final place and look out for a Charles Leclerc there to really stand out and probably on the back of the news we're all about to discuss really uh, nail in that, that thought that it was a warranted promotion yeah likes of Leclerc even the Toro Rossos I think it would be good this weekend for them to get in the points too Brendan Hartley in particular Pierre Gasly's been sensational all season so you know it's it's one of those races where it's we can sit down and talk about it as much as you want but then ultimately it's going to be an unpredictable race we don't know what's going to happen so that's probably the fun part about Singapore every year is that you can go into it and um, you know not know what's going to happen and that's how it was 2015 where we were surprised to see Mercedes just nowhere and Ferrari just dominate every practice session qualifying and the race. Depending on those those conspiracy theorists there maybe that a 2015 result in the aftermath of that tyre pressure little fiasco we had at Italy that season. Always that notion that perhaps they were ordered by the FIA to to do something to pull them back and that was a a little bit of a a sanction because it is a bit of an outlier regardless of how fortunate they might have been particularly last season that they were just absolutely nowhere in other years. They're always able to um, at least get get one driver on the podium or jag a victory when we always think of Ferrari or, or Red Bulls going to emerge on top here and you never know if just like last year the rain strikes at the right moment I think uh, Hamilton's going to be very confident yeah exactly and that's probably what everyone else isn't hoping for indeed and yeah it's going to be a great weekend as always Singapore so let's go over the digest quickly before we get into our discussion about uh, some more silly season news regarding Ferrari and Kimi Raikkonen and Charles Leclerc the switch has been made and Raikkonen's going to Sauber but um Starting off, and this sort of caught everyone's attention over the weekend in Moto2, and uh, Romano Fanati, the hothead, again in trouble. This time, it's career-ending trouble because he hit the he hit his rival uh, Stefano Manzi, I think it was his brakes as they were coming down the straight um, at Mizano. So he actually stuck his hand across and tried to push the brake pedal with um, with his own hand, and that's just. You know, could have someone could have been killed in that situation. So, originally he was just given a two race ban by the um, stewards and whatnot. That sort of then, uh, what do you call it? Resulted in the team dropping him and his uh, contract for next year being terminated by MV Augusta. And then, yeah, you know the fallout from that. He's decided to walk away from motorcycle racing altogether. So, good riddance because this is not the first time we've seen him. Um, 
do this. He was dropped by the Sky VR46 team, sorry, in, in Moto3 a couple of years ago because of a similar outburst that he had on track where he's recklessly endangered someone's life. So, you know, I was surprised after that he was given a second chance and found himself in Moto2. And now I guess this is the li- the line in the sand. You can draw a lot of parallels to four wheels with Santino Ferrucci. It wasn't quite as heinous his actions there, but just that blatant disregard for his his competition. They're pretty much only in it for themselves, and they just don't have really any lateral consideration of those consequences. And you can see for Fanati in this case, he he's made that call. You could say on his terms to retire, but he didn't have a future. His reputation was trashed and um, it's just a shame that that message isn't sinking in for for these riders and drivers when you go to um, four wheels that they have to respect the racetrack and for all the well, time and money that's invested in these individuals it's just a shame to think that someone else who's there and has made a well, their whole life towards it and it can really be ended just like that well isn't ferrucci now back he's doing indycar so you know how how is that even how is that even allowed and indycar is supposedly more dangerous than formula one at the moment you know that could be something that they end up regretting when um something happens and he gets up to his usual antics but we'll move it on quickly anyway to some better and more positive well, not really positive news, but some something different. And Mercedes talking up the idea of having a third car again. And I guess that whole topic's come back to light in recent weeks because of the situation regarding Esteban Ocon, who looks like he might not be on the grid next year for Formula One. So Toto Wolf saying that, you know, why can't the big teams have a third car for drivers like Ocon, which are the, the uh, junior drivers? And he says that, you know, the whole junior program for Mercedes might as well go in the bin if Ocon doesn't find a seat next year. And I guess it sort of brings up that debate, yeah, while having a third car might be a good idea for the sake of having these drivers on the grid, commercially and also for the smaller teams, it's not really good because it means that Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull are going to have three cars each and that's basically your top nine out of ten positions sealed out. So if you have, and you could have a Mercedes podium lockout, something like that. So, you know, while it could be good to keep Ocon on the grid, it's not good for Formula One. Oh, not necessarily outright not good, but it, the, those parameters would have to be thought out very delicately. Maybe a concept where that third driver, the points don't accrue towards the constructors in, in any sense, even though on track they might be a, a top three for, for a certain Ferrari but the Mercedes. At least it means that those teams won't be suffering financially if, if they can still accrue points in their own right for, for the two drivers that are there and as it is and you can at least let these people who deserve it a place at least have their own fight and, and maybe it mightn't count towards titles but at least it means they're getting that track time and, and it's just the execution of it it's clearly a very murky zone but something just has to be done between third cars or making sure the best drivers are out there that it doesn't continue because um, we're seeing so many at the moment who are they miss a year or two, and they've got no options when it comes to say they win the F2. That they can't continue with that, and then they're left in a a melting pot, some category which doesn't have the same reputation, and they're, they're forgotten just like that. Well, Ocon could easily just go to Williams. That chapter isn't closed, and I guess the problem too has been that um, McLaren's Zach Brown came out and said that. 
because Ocon's affiliated with Mercedes, it uh, meant that they weren't really keen to touch him um, as far as giving him a drive. So, you know, perhaps that Mercedes Association has hurt him in this instance. Um, if he was a free agent, it could have been a lot more easier to sign him up and whatnot. That's where the problem is, though, when Mercedes probably shouldn't be punished for having that... But Mercedes, but Mercedes should, in that case, instead of uh, talking about third cars, why don't they deploy a second team, you know, altogether like Red Bull have with Toro Rosso. Like, they could easily, um, not saying easily, but, you know, if someone like a Force India, I guess you wouldn't want to touch Force India, but Williams now, they could easily be taken on as a Mercedes junior team. If, if it was to come to pass, then we wouldn't have this problem, I think. Yeah, it'd make a, a lot of sense and, for both parties. They're clearly, um, just by association, it's a shame that they're ruling each other out. Yeah, and it just it's a shame in that instance. And then Renault talking about slave teams and everything as well, which is an interesting term to use. It's not it doesn't sound too good when you think about it, but um if it means that you've got these guys on the grid, that's a good thing. And, you know, if Mercedes were to set like imagine if Mercedes had so much money that they could set up a satellite team that would be good as well same with Renault I guess they can swap drive like they've got McLaren they've got their own factory team um, Red Bull have Toro Rosso and now they've got Honda so it's all aligned whereas Mercedes seem like they're the odd ones out in this instance even though they do supply Williams and Force India you know, why, if they're so close as what we're led to believe to be with those guys, they should be able to drop in one of their drivers there. It's certainly something which needs to be looked to be um, instituted from 2021. You wouldn't want to do it overnight like a band-aid solution, but I think when you're thinking towards that sports future, whether it's 2021 or 2023, whenever it does occur, that they need to, to make a way without taking away autonomy from those independents, there's still incentive for them clearly they'll get some reciprocal benefits from the, the big manufacturers but it does mean that they're not taking on the drivers with the, the biggest pockets but the ones that have the most outright talent yeah exactly and speaking of outright talent and there's got to be a place for this guy on the grid in a couple of years time it's uh, mick schumacher because he dominated the euro f3 weekend at the nurburgring um winning all three races so next year i'm pretty sure he's going to formula two i think it's all been all but confirmed so you know 2020 or 2021 that's where we might see the the next generation of schumacher on the f1 grid it's been a rapid ascension over the past few weeks a lot of uh, talk earlier was that he's good but not great and suddenly he's getting this consistency and the confidence which comes from a little bit of success and probably that path where that um, combined f3 series coming under the the Formula One support umbrella from next season. We thought that was the, the logical next step, but now this talk of going straight into F2, and who knows how well he does there. If he wins a title next season, then he might be naturally ready for, for a move to F1 in 2020, but you wouldn't want to rush him in any case. He's still only 19, but I think that um, suddenly he's on that radar, and you'd think in the next two to three years, he, he keeps up this trajectory. There's every chance that he is going to be on the grid and that would be a great moment just um, considering everything to do with his dad you think that it would really just come full circle and, and close a, a chapter in a way and, and who knows just a little thought if it were to come to pass it would be ironic if, if say Mick Schumacher 
ended up at a, a salvo say 2020 with a, a certain Kimi Raikkonen as a teammate and that would be a little bit ironic when you consider that Raikkonen replaced Michael Schumacher in 2007 then you say 2020 you've got Raikkonen and Schumacher as teammates yeah with two with, with two decades between them as well as far as age is concerned so that would be pretty funny indeed but yeah 2021 ideally I think uh, if all goes to plan you should see Mick Schumacher in F1 which will be great given if this is the kind of form he's got with him in his junior career if he gets to say a Mercedes or a Ferrari in his career um, in F1 then yeah you know he's going to go long and Schumacher versus Verstappen, Ocon and the likes of Lando Norris perhaps. Spare a thought for Mick Schumacher's um, cousin David Schumacher's son of Ralph who's also <laughs> been extremely promising but probably not with that spotlight but until recently he'd been the one where everyone had been lavishing praise so we could yet have a, another generation of multiple shoemakers on the grid well thankfully you know well i guess with uh, with uh sorry with ralph it, uh the uh gene sort of skipped a generation where it's his son that's more he talented <laughs> his, his, like <laughs> his son was more talented than the father so yeah that would be good to see but enough of the Schumachers anyway and let's do our little discussion this week about Ferrari Sauber and the switch between Kimi Raikkonen and Charles Leclerc so I guess what was inevitable was finally happened and Kimi Raikkonen told that his services won't be required by Ferrari next year but he's not dropping off the grid he's going to be at Sauber for the next two years which will take him to till 41 um and Charles Leclerc his uh, rise continues as he will be the youngest driver to be a Scuderia Ferrari driver since I think it's 1964 or something. I think it's a win-win for Raikkonen and Leclerc, and not the biggest loser, but the one with the heat on him the most is Sebastian Vettel. He's now really got that that pressure there to deliver because Leclerc will be being ushered on very quickly as the future for Ferrari, whilst for, for Raikkonen, he can finally stop being that battering ram, and whilst Sauber's probably not going to be a race winner, he can, he can at least have that momentum from the team and they'll give him the best strategies instead of just being the, the whipping boy and the one who might be fastest, um, you know, not more often than not, but quite a lot of the time and yet being uh, put out to pasture so Vettel gets um, all the plaudits when you see that that's not even being fully utilised by the German today. If Leclerc comes in straight away and he's, he's on his game, then Vettel's got some serious problems on his hands. Well, the question, the first question I ask here is that will... Uh, Leclerc's arrival further galvanise Vettel in the team instead of playing that subordinate that Kimi has been over the years. This idea of that Kimi doesn't really put pressure on Seb and Seb's just become a bit too comfortable, hence all these mistakes. Will a sna- a he- Leclerc snapping on the heels of Seb um, make him give him that killer instinct or whatever and um, push him towards winning that title? You know, that's probably what as much as I don't want Leclerc to be the subordinate, I want Leclerc to be successful. But if it's a benefit to Ferrari and for Vettel as well, then that'll be a good thing too. If they don't win the title this year, it's got to be next. Yeah, well, Vettel, he's got that contract through till 2020. And if he doesn't deliver it by then, I think that'll be the end of him as um, the future for, for Ferrari, at least in this attempt. And, and Leclerc, he'll be given that time at, at the same moment. They can't expect him to be out there winning races and competing for the title next season. But if it does come to pass that he is on the same level 
as Vettel, then uh, Ferrari won't waste much time in, in casting the German aside, and that's something he has to be wary of, and how soon he, he does respond, it has to be almost this weekend, just for momentum. Dare I say he gets replaced by another German in 2021, Mick Schumacher. That would be, <laughs> be taking the mickey for him to debut with Ferrari, let alone Leclerc, after a single season, but it's not that anyone's opposed to another Schumacher at Ferrari. Exactly, but um, yeah, you know, it's, it's really pressure on for Seb Vettel, as you wrote as well today, and and um, I guess even though as good as it is, is that Leclerc's going to be there and a young driver. Finally, I mean, this is the thing, you know, how many young drivers have we seen in the past? We're like, oh, yeah, they'll be driving for Ferrari. They'll be driving for Ferrari. And it doesn't eventuate. So I've got to take my hat off to Ferrari in this instance for taking the gamble and embracing a young driver finally, which, you know, they've not done for, for so, Jules Bianchi, I can understand, you know, that's a given what happened there, but, you know, the likes of Sergio Perez, who were in frame for Ferrari, Nico Hulkenberg once upon a time was as well, Roman Grosjean as well, you know, but I guess Charles Leclerc is the one who's going to bring home the mustard for them. Nice to see they are honouring the the wishes of the, the recently departed Ferrari CEO there in Sergio Marchioni and there was a bit of um, you could say um, just wavering between that that first talk in maybe April or May that Leclerc was coming in and then Raikkonen got on his game and and now Vettel's really um, the one who's been inconsistent and so maybe the the ultimate you could say purpose that Leclerc's come in has changed a little bit from the initial reason but the fact is that they've followed through with it and whether Leclerc justifies it immediately or not he he does represent that future and he's got really um you know he could be at Ferrari for 10 years or more they can they can build a proper generation around him now and, and as for what Vettel achieves in the, the shorter term that's up to him exactly but um let's turn the topic over to Kimi Raikkonen then and you know what does him going to Sauber mean is it a demotion do you take it as a demotion or you know do you think that he's actually going to aid with the rebuilding of the Sauber team they've been revitalized this year with a closer tie-up to Ferrari the Alfa Romeo link as well Charles Leclerc putting in the good results for them so what does Kimi do he doesn't he's not just gonna I'm sure he's not a guy who's just gonna flounder around at the back end of the field he'll be competitive and hopefully Sauber will be in the midfield as well and a bit of talk as well he might be looking at taking on a bit of a, an investment capacity and who knows whether he would transition to a managerial role after he hangs up that helmet that would be quite a sight him on a pit wall calling the shots but uh, stranger things have happened who would have foreseen Raikkonen as a prolific Instagrammer 12 months ago. Well, he's still, he's done the team management thing already with his uh, Ice One Racing Rally team, so surely he's got those management credentials behind him, but, you know, being in the daylight and also in the the view that Formula One is as well, that could be something new. And you can see that if it is a, dare we say, Giovinazzi, he finally gets a a chance if um, the little Ericsson sphere of influence is uh, weeded out, then he'd be uh, really great as a as a bit of a mentor to him or whoever it might be. Someone who, not that Ericsson's a poor driver, but someone who really has that defined 
future and really accelerates their own progress over the next two years. Or if Stoffel van Dorn still gets that seat, which could yet be an option. Um, so still plenty to play out in the silly season um, as that topic is concerned. But as far as uh, this move is concerned, any last thoughts, I guess, because, you know, it just makes me look forward to next year's championship already more so that even though we've still got a championship battle on our hands this year i'm already looking forward to next year to just to see how this new look grid will look yeah well this wholesale change now it took a long time to get off the, the blocks but ricardo really did trigger that domino effect and it's good to see the sport have that facelift once in a while and you, you can never be sure until it really plays out and even longer term that it is the right call but it's something the sport needed and I think on a more immediate basis it will be fascinating to see if Kimi Raikkonen ditches that number two moniker over the, the coming seven races and is in it for himself and can still have a crack at, at that victory just to sign off on his Ferrari tenure victoriously uh, it does remain unless Vettel gets the job done this season or whenever it comes to pass, uh, the most recent champion. So he's still got that to, to hold his head high. Yeah, and also just uh, getting that win will be quite important because you wouldn't imagine him winning a race for Sauber and I don't think for the next two years he wants to go on without winning a race. So yeah, this year it's got to it's got to happen if it, if it can. And we've talked about it all year long. It's just a matter of when now. Yes, I think things are coming to a head pretty quickly. So... You could say not that Vettel and Raikkonen dislike each other, but the gloves are probably off when it comes to where the interests lie. Exactly. So that's it for F1. Let's move it over to supercars now. And, of course, Enduro Cup time, our favourite time of the year as far as uh, supercars is concerned. And the Sandown 500 kicking off this weekend with that retro round that's become a mainstay, you could say, with Sandown every year. So the longer races, the co-drivers, the pit stops, tyre change, fuel change, it's, it's all here and it just complicates everything a lot more you know the co-drivers being added into the equation makes the championship more exciting the fact that we've had a new form driver going into the enduros in Shane Van Gisbergen having taken the points lead last time out in at tail and bend so you know the pressure is really on those uh, co-drivers and the championship contenders yes and I think with that recent stumble from um DJRTP um momentum does lie in Triple Eight HRT's corner so if they follow through this weekend uh, suddenly the pressure comes to Bathurst where McLaughlin's really um, been cruel in, in recent campaigns there so I think uh, this is really one where they just need to, to be right up there if not winning at least a solid haul of points and it's not something you would have considered probably a couple of months ago so the onus is there but you, you would back McLaughlin to now have that maturity to, to know what he has to do. Yeah and I guess the combination with him and uh Alex Premer, as always, is going to be quite strong, but again, they do need the results to um, add to that title bid. So last year in the Enduro Cup, Sandown, it was a podium. Gold Coast, they had a podium and a win, and Bathurst is the one where they were crueled at despite having that pole position. So this year, you'd think that if they can start off with a, um, a strong Sandown, bank 300 points, Bathurst take any points as it comes, that'll be crucial because last year, the thing with... with McLaughlin and Prema was that they 
they were classified as a non-finisher, which means you don't score points. So in supercars, you score points um, all the way down to the end of the grid. So yeah, it's about uh, actually being classified, scoring points, and those points are going to count come Newcastle at the end of the season. You can see after the elation of the pole position last year at Bathurst, it was a bit of a come down for them. But before they get there, this is one where they just really need to keep it on the... The track and the game again as far as the injuries go. You can have one poor race out of the um, the four that comprise the Enduro Cup and that can do your dash. So they just need to be there or thereabouts each. Exactly. So, yeah, and just going over the grid now as well, quickly, a few changes. So, the big one to talk about is Shane Van Gisberg, and he'll have Earl Bamber joining him this year, which I'm really excited about as well. The um, two-time Le Mans champion and also the reigning world endurance champion as well. So, um, he's up to speed in that Triple Eight car. He'll be one to look out for. They're both good friends as well outside of the car. So, you know, given the form that SVG's in at the moment, they're going to be a lethal pairing. Yeah, I think for, for Bamberg, really, his pedigree overseas goes well with Van Gisbergen, who's been quite strong on, on that in recent years. And you can see that it doesn't look like he'll take too long to get up to speed. And he'll just be wanting to make sure that he's a competent co-driver there since Van Gisbergen's really found a, another level in recent times. Exactly. And then uh, the reigning... Endurance uh, Cup champion Chaz Mostert finds himself paired up with James Moffat, which could be a, a good lineup too. Moffat is pretty quick at this time of year and not racing in supercars full time this year, but um, you know, on his own should be pretty good. Yeah, I think for, for Mostert, he, he's probably just been a bit disappointed the way things have panned out in recent years. But with James Moffat there, who um, I guess things haven't worked out for him on a full time level, he'll be. Um, knowing the importance here of, of delivering at least to get some momentum in for Pro Drive, who have just not been able to execute really back-to-back races or weekends any time in the, the past few years. So we've got a, still a fair way to go to rediscover um, this mojo, but they've got to start somewhere. Yeah, and I guess um, endurance time is always a good time for the... Uh, teams to come back in last year Tickford dominated this event with Cam Orders and Richie Stanaway and Stanaway this year on his uh, with his own entry will be partnered with Steve Owen who is the reigning Endurance Cup champion as well of course so um, look out for those guys who should be strong here too if Tickford is strong as a team um, and you got to say for the guys who are sort of championship outsiders um, Win Cup and David Reynolds having a strong Endurance Cup will put them back in contention as well you'd think you know of course Reynolds was the Bathurst winner last year so you know scoring a lot of points could put them back in the hunt here Craig Lowndes as well final Endurance Cup as a full-time driver so expect him to try and get some good results to go out before he retires. come off the rank teams there that maybe they uh, they do have a bit of a uh, a period there where the the gas runs out so you'd hope that they can get it back on
at this point in the season and again follow on from what they had last year yeah exactly and um you know Bathurst Lounge they have a synonymous their history is synonymous with each other so you'd think that you know let's write another chapter this year would be good to see and triple eight are in good form too so yeah i'm really looking forward to it starting this weekend so should be good we'll be there so that'll be always a good thing yeah, bring it on. Exactly. So let's uh, round things off, I guess, with our sporting moments of the week. And I'm guessing this week it's going to be uh, a lot to do with footy because, uh, you know, Baden, footy is great, as uh, was coined by, uh, um, I don't know what to describe him as, but yeah, footy's great. <laughs> yeah, well, it's getting to that really pointy end, particularly for Collingwood. They need to get the job done on... On Saturday night, but signs are there that, that they've got that capacity to do it, and um, certainly nothing wrong with their performance last weekend on the road. Yeah, exactly. So it's going to be a big one against GWS this week for you guys, and then in NRL land as well. Yeah, some big games coming up with Cronulla up against the Pan- Panthers. Sorry, in the um, semi-final, and of course the Dragons last week stunned the Broncos, which was a good game to watch as well. And um, they'll be up against. I think it's. I forgot who they're playing now. Bit silly of me. Anyway, Broncos. No, Sorry, the Dragons are playing. Who is it? Uh, the, the Rabbitohs. The Rabbitohs. How can I... Oh, the team I had as my grand finalist this year, I forgot about them. Yeah, the Rabbitohs. So that should be really good as well to watch. So yeah, September is always that good time of year. But I think what stood out for me this week was not to do with footy at all, even though we are just talking about footy, but um, Alastair Cook retiring from Test Match Cricket, even though he's a pom and we don't like him. Um he put to rest his form slump by scoring a century in his final game, which I guess it's like, where was that all along? You know, he just come along and uh, just uh, score. I think he scored 70 in the first innings and uh, made a century in the second innings against India um, in what was his last ever test match. So bookending a, a really strong career, you could say for him um, started his career with a century ends it with a century. And you wouldn't want to think that he's going to regret that decision to pull it down now. It's the best way for him to to go out. And he's been a great leader for England over so many years. Perhaps he would have liked to have extended another 12 months through to the Ashes in 2019. But I think that he's still going to be remembered extremely highly. And I I guess we should also mention uh, Jimmy Anderson for what it's worth, that he's surpassed Glenn McGrath as the most successful fast bowler with, I think, 560, 563, I think, wickets, and who knows how much more he's got in the tank, but that's a, a huge <laughs> achievement in its own right. With, with 68% of those wickets coming on home turf, which is the what statistic you've got to throw in there as well. So given that overseas, he seems to be pretty um, woeful, you could say. But uh, anywho, that's that's about it, I guess, for this week, <laughs> unless there was anything else no, you wanted no. to add. It's yeah. all ahead of us. Yeah, well, Singapore, Sandown, and uh, a lot more footy to watch this weekend. So we'll have it all for you next week to wrap up so until then thanks for joining us and we'll see you guys next time till then